0: And now, Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Brought to you by the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Here are your hosts, Casey Hobbs and Shane Mason.
1: Welcome to Nurse Talk, Where Laughter is the Best Medicine. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. That opening song was from the incomparable Lonnie Hall Alpert. Some of you of a certain age may remember. We first heard Lonnie Hall when she was a lead singer at only 19 years old for the great Latin jazz artist Sergio Mendez. Miss Hall later married and performed with legendary musician Herb Alpert.
2: And what does this have to do with us, Casey? Well, we have the pleasure of having Miss Hall Alpert with us later on in the show. Lonnie, as her good friend's caller, has written a wonderful new book called Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories. Stick around as she talks about her psychotherapy, deciding whether to end her lifelong career, and confronting unexpected reactions to cosmetic surgery.
1: She's also an excellent writer. That emotional memoirs and short stories is brilliantly written. Well, Shane, while we're on the topic of the show, instead of us for once, later we'll be talking with Broadway actor Michael Milligan, who's written and performs in a new play called Mercy Killers. The play was inspired by real healthcare horror stories. Stories that Milliken says remain so prevalent in our broken healthcare system that he was compelled to use his skills to shed some light on these human tragedies. And Casey,
2: sometimes people ask us if we're nurses, why are we talking about other things that aren't related to nursing or health? Do you ever get asked that?
1: No, never. Nobody ever asked me anything. (laughs) Never, ever.
2: It's because people are smart. (laughs) Well, that surprises me. Maybe they ask you, but you don't hear them. (laughs)
1: Because I'm talking so damn much. Is that it?
2: Just saying.
1: (laughs) I do love to chat. (laughs) Well,
2: anyway, yes, it's true. We don't always talk about health care or health issues directly, but the fact is, everything in our lives has an impact on our
1: health. So true. Everything does relate to your health. And on that note, how are you, Shane? And speaking of health, I ask you a question, then I dive right into something else. Uh That's just my way. (laughs) Talk how or if you find a balance in your life when you're a practicing nurse practitioner an instructor at USF Nursing School, a doctoral student, at, all at the same time. You know how nurses take care of everyone else and sometimes they don't even look at themselves?
2: Yeah, no, I, got, I gotta be honest, my, my students a lot ask me how I do all the stuff that I do, and I'd say, do not emulate me. Like, not a role model. Like, do, don't do this. I uh, bet.
1: And that is good <laughs> advice because it'll make you crazy. I, ha- I
2: find a lot of meaning in my work. It gets me out of bed in the morning, but sometimes it's really busy and sometimes I do not do a good job of balancing. I bet you don't. And so what about you, Casey? How do you find balance in your life? You're a full-time nurse. You're mom to a cat and a dog. You take care of your stepmom. You go to court several times a month to pay for speeding tickets. You're helping at Habitat for Humanity, the food bank, the holiday toy drive. Fighting against global warming, <laughs> fracking, rescuing orphans, and now your cameo role on Scrubbing In down in Hollywood. How do you do it? And maybe more importantly, why? Oh, yes. I do it for you. Yeah, love I get that. it. I do I everything can, for can, me Can I as hear well. that again?
1: I need to hear that <laughs> one more time. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's me, baby. I do it for you.
2: His husky voice just makes me all tingling inside. Well, now it's time for a little humor, because that stuff wasn't funny.
1: That's for sure. (laughs) Although I'm laughing like a fool, I don't know why. Maybe it's all the drugs you gave me before we started. So you and
2: I know... As nurses, it's a challenge to eat right
1: when we're on the job. That's right, Shane. And if you and I are not the only... I'm sure we're not the only nurses who have this issue. So here now is Nurse Joe's nursing diet. This is from Scrub mm. Magazine. Oh, no. dater, Dodge and mustard. She says, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick of Atkins, South Beach, intuitive eating, and every other diet out there. The creators of these diets assume that we have put... That we have time to put together healthy tasty meals and then eat them at our leisure
2: they also assume that we all have time to get 30 to 60 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise a day those of us who are stuck in a hospital 12 to 16 hours a day know this isn't true
1: therefore she presents her diet day one breakfast hard-boiled egg black coffee and six donut holes from the break room (laughs) if you could find them and then day
2: one snack is every time a doctor asks where's the chart Six months after you've gone to a paperless system, eat three fun-sized Snickers.
1: Romaine salad with grilled chicken and low-fat dressing, six ounces of sugar-free fruit yogurt, two large spoonfuls of that mystery casserole in the doctor's lounge. Let's be real. You don't get in the doctor's lounge, and they don't have leftover food. That's only in the nurse's lounge.
2: Mmm, but there's so much avarice in that casserole. (laughs) Okay, so day one afternoon snack. For every patient turned and repositioned in one hour, six barbecue potato chips. I'd make that six bags.
1: Day one dinner, one 250-milliliter bottle of Goats du Rome Cabernet.
2: (laughs) My favorite. (laughs) Day two breakfast, one scrambled egg rolled with one slice low-fat cheese and a flour tortilla, one medium apple, and a handful of slightly stale microwave popcorn and two aspirin.
1: Day two morning snack, somebody else's ham sandwich from the fridge. Remember, if it's not dated and initialed, it has no calories. Day two lunch, skip, you're busy with an innovation. Day two
2: afternoon snack, Hot dogs from the shop downstairs, Mm -hmm. get one, consider it briefly, then decided you've probably tempted fate enough today with that ham sandwich.
1: Day two, dinner, one frozen burrito, don't even microwave it, and a caffeine-free Diet Coke.
2: Day three, all you can eat, but only from the vending machines.
1: Day four, who am I kidding? At this point, you're in a fog and will likely consume anything that's standing still or moving slowly. The only rule for this day is that you have to chase down anything you intend to turn into a meal. That way, you're burning off calories from those snicker bars.
2: And day five is a free day, all the resident souls you can eat.
1: (laughs) Ooh, that's a good day.
2: (laughs) So Joe's Diet is courtesy of Scrubs Magazine. We'll be right back with actor and playwright Michael Mulligan to talk about his new play, Mercy Killers, inspired by real healthcare horror stories. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
3: My name is Meera Batra. I have been in this country 32 years, and this is how I live united. America has always been the land of promise, and in my community, many families have come for a better life. Coming from another culture myself, I know the desire to become part of a community, to feel at home and to gain the tools for our children and families to succeed. So I advocate for these families with United Way. United Way empowers them to look beyond their histories and to see what opportunities are available. We help them get involved with their kids' schools, network within the community, and when we do, we unite them. We make the community stronger. What I do is something I wish someone had done for me, and I am so grateful I am able to. My name is Mira Batra. I help families see opportunities and succeed. I don't just wear the shirt. I live it.
4: Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Let's go, guys! Hey, did you guys know
3: that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up?
4: Of course. I I knew that.
3: Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
4: That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music?
3: Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah it's pretty
4: obvious.
0: Yeah, yeah so yeah.
4: obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not?
5: Huh, I didn't know that.
3: I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't.
5: Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Confusion ever someone or have sudden... Have you ever had sudden confusion, trouble speaking, or understanding someone? It could be one of the five signs of stroke.
6: Sudden weakness or numbness of the face, arm, or leg.
5: Sudden trouble with vision in one or both eyes.
6: Suddenly having trouble walking or difficulty with balance.
5: Or a sudden intense headache that comes out of nowhere.
6: Don't wait. Call 911 immediately.
5: Time lost is brain lost.
6: Find out more at powertoendstroke.org. Brought to you by the American
5: Heart Association, American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Can you tell if this burger contains bacteria that could cause kidney failure? Listen. You can't see it either. Use a food thermometer to be sure you've cooked meat and poultry to a bacteria-killing temperature. Raw or undercooked meat may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. Roughly 3,000 Americans will die from food poisoning this year, but you can keep your family safer. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council.
4: I don't, my grandmother's is 95. She can't see out of her left eye. It just shut off. The last time we went to see her, she's like, I can't see out of my
0: left eye. And we're all like, oh, hey, what was Christmas like in the 40s? Saying, oh. So I go to the doctor and I said, you know, she can't see out of her left eye at all. And I swear to God, he goes, well, she's probably got a bunch of tumors in her head. I swear to God, I remember it because I was blown away by how none of his education he applied to this particular diagnosis. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine.
1: Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with co-host Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Michael Milligan
2: is an accomplished playwright and actor and has appeared in numerous Broadway shows and studied at Juilliard, winning the John Hausman Prize for Excellence in Classical Drama. His latest venture is a play called Mercy Killers, Inspired by real health care horror stories, Mercy Killers won the 2013 Fringe First Award in Edinburgh and was recently brought to California in collaboration with the Stella Adler Studio of Acting and Harold Clerman Laboratory Theatre Company. The 13-city tour in California coincides with the recently launched Affordable Care Act and is sponsored by the Campaign for a Healthy California. It's been projected that between 3 and 4 million Californians will remain uninsured even after the ACA is fully implemented.
1: At a time when over 60% of bankruptcies, 60%, in the U.S., are the result of medical debt, says Milligan, what most people don't realize is that in the majority of these bankruptcies, the persons involved actually had insurance at the onset of their health crisis. Here now is Michael Milligan. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today on Nurse Talk, and thank you for using your craft to shed light on this great American tragedy.
7: Uh, My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.
2: Sure. So first off, Michael, how and why did mercy killers come about?
7: Well, uh, it, it all started um, with uh, some personal experiences of mine. Um, I was going along in my career as a professional actor, and uh, and then you know I came face to face with our medical system. I was in a relationship with someone for. 6 years and and she had uh she required a lot of medical uh care and and so you know I just had the experience that many many Americans have of of trying to to um to balance you know getting care with uh paying rent and paying for food and all of that so so that was a big uh uh wake up experience for me and um and then uh, what happened was I, I had experience with Occupy Wall Street. I was down downtown, and I saw everybody out there. This is in New York City. And, uh, you know, I saw people that looked like me. Yes. Know, just out on the street, uh, just out on the street gathered because of, of how their lives had been affected as a result of the recession and, and then the financial crisis. And, um, and that really jarred me and made me aware of how um, you know how how my life had been completely consumed um, with just trying to keep my head above water and uh, and I think that that's true for a lot of people. and I and think that's uh, I think yeah.
1: that's how they keep us where we are, Michael. So how did you get yeah. access to these healthcare stories? I know that your your partner at the time had a story. How did you then? Yeah. Find other stories.
7: Well, well then I just uh, you know I read a bunch of books. Uh, I read maybe a dozen books about the healthcare system and about the financial crisis because I think it, you know my my the story that I've created is is you know weaves those two things together. Um, you know how how like uh, how, how the recession sort of created a double whammy for a lot of people, especially people facing you know medical crises. Yes. Um, so uh, I, I read uh, all those books and then you know, did a lot of research and interviewed people and talked to doctors and, and nurses and, uh, and, and wrote the play uh, last summer. And then I've been performing it since then and have been continuing to adapt and uh, deepen it and edit it. Uh, a, a lot of times, based on the feedback that I get from the audience and stories that I hear uh, from the audience, so it's an ongoing development of, of the piece.
2: And, so, and how's the reaction to the play been so far?
7: The reaction has been uh, really, really, really supportive, and you know, I, I get a lot of gratitude from the audience, especially from people who have who have faced uh, you know medical crisis and, and loss um I, I, those people in particular are very grateful that that there's a story out there in the public yeah that, that, where other people will will witness it um because i think that a lot of a lot of people who are run over by our our system uh you know are silenced
1: yeah they're I, too I usually, they're too exhausted and spent to to get their itself. information out there, which is what I love, yep. Michael, that you t- are taking these stories and then reenacting them on stage. Is that uh, difficult for you to relate to the stories, or that is that pretty easy?
7: No, it's it's pretty easy. It's it's. I mean, it's it, well, it's difficult in the sense that it's painful. Yes, but <laughs> it's not difficult to to empathize uh, with the character that I play. You know.
2: And so, yeah. Do you have any uh, examples of you know synopsis of the sorts of stories that you're telling in the play?
7: Well, the play the play is actually it's just one story. Oh okay. Um, yeah, it's one story and it's uh, it's the story of Joe and he's a uh, auto mechanic from somewhere on the edge of Appalachia. I'm from Ohio so uh, you know he might be from southeastern Ohio near West Virginia okay. <laughs> And uh, his wife uh, has cancer, and uh, basically the, the setup of the story is Joe is being interrogated by the police mm. about about the death of his wife. Um, and so that basically creates a context wherein Joe has the opportunity to tell his story.
2: And that, are you, are you able to give us a little bit of dialogue from the play? Are you willing to do that, or...?
7: Oh, uh, no, I, I, I can't do that now. I um,
2: <laughs> understand. So when someone sees the play, what do you hope that they experience? What, what do you want them to feel?
7: Well, the thing is, Joe, uh, in addition to going through his crisis, another little element of the story is Joe is, is something of a libertarian. Mm. So as he's, as he's relaying his story to the police, uh, he's also grappling with his, um, you know, his worldview. Well,
6: that's um, interesting.
7: He's a real stand-up guy who's always believed in self-reliance and personal responsibility. So he doesn't, um, you know, he's 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 in shock that he's been brought to the situation that he finds himself after doing everything right, and um, and so in addition to grappling with. The loss of his wife. He's also grappling with uh, his his worldview sort of crumbling.
1: That's um, great. I'm glad you woman. I'm glad you put <laughs> those two together in the same context because I think so many Americans who look at people who have bankruptcy want to make it not about them and that it couldn't happen to them. Yeah. And and the important thing here is that it could happen. It could happen to any of us. Yep. So I understand the play Mercy Killers um, concludes November 22nd. It's touring through California. How can people find out where it is?
7: Uh, If they go to uh, Campaign for a Healthy California's website, there's a full list of all of the the dates, times, and locations. Um, And then also they can visit Mercy Killers,
2: the play. That's my website, personkillers okay. right. dot playcom and, and you act and uh, write in other plays as well. You've been doing this for a while. And actually, I wanted to ask you, apparently <laughs> there's a, uh, a show on MTV now about nurses that run around in bikinis, oh, Michael. I don't know horrible. if you've heard about this show, but it's my own personal goal to get on the show. You know anyone in Hollywood that can uh, help me out? <laughs> I
1: don't.
2: I'm, I'm sorry
1: to say. All right, well, <laughs> well, well, you shouldn't be sorry to say, because that show is like the antithesis of the one that you've written and are performing no, no,
2: no, in. <laughs> I've never heard of it.
1: Well, that's good. Well, I'm a, glad you yeah, haven't heard of it. There's a good it. reason for that. Has has the medical community embraced the play? And how did you hook up with Healthy Californians? I think that's brilliant that they're supporting the play. It's a good way to tie in these two things. How'd that come about?
7: Um. Well, I was I was doing, you know, I, I got to a place in my career where I was sort of on a treadmill of just going out of town doing shows at regional theaters around the country, but I had just written this play, and I, I you know, I really just wanted to do my play, so I was doing a show at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, and I contacted the local uh, advocacy organization Healthcare for All Minnesota, and... I wanted to organize some performances on my day off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the people there were very excited and and uh, they organized a performance I got to perform for the Minnesota Nurses Association convention Great. which was a, a real real thrill. There were like 400 nurses there and and they you know the 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 response was so so strong and that was one of the first performances I did so I I just resolved right then and there that I was going to just take you know, a year or two out to to put my my career on hold and just do this play. So um, that's what happened. I, I contacted just on a phone call and emails uh, started in in Ohio where I'm from. Contacted span Ohio and they they helped set up uh, a tour around Ohio and and these groups, you know, they're all they're all interconnected by from state to state. So basically, it all just came about through word of mouth where activists in Ohio, you know, spread the word and, and gradually people, people contacted me. Um, I, 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 am active in healthcare now in New York and, and through them, I got, uh, I got in touch with, uh, physicians for national health program. I've done a number of performances for them as well, um, in New York and, in Minnesota and, and um, some other places. And then, um, uh, you know, uh, California Nurses Association uh, uh, heard about the show, and, and so I was contacted by Cindy Young, and uh, they they were interested in in uh, you know setting up this tour uh, That's... In, in association with Campaign for a Healthy California, which I have to say uh, was was a real uh, fulfillment of my dream because I've. More than any place, I wanted to come to California to to do the show because uh, traveling around to different states where there are are single payer movements in the states, um, it, it has become uh, I've become aware of the fact that California is the state that really has the greatest potential to to step. To move forward even beyond the affordable
1: care act um, i w- i would ag- I would agree with you hundred percent on that Michael, and Vermont is another state that I think is really uh, making great strides yep. towards that
7: yeah vermont vermont has has taken the step and uh but you know in, if if California went, then the rest of the nation would you
1: i know. I'm yeah, with you from yeah. from your all lips over, to to god's over. ears, I hope that is what occurs <laughs>
7: So I just I'm I'm happy to be here and and spread whatever seeds I can you know and, and
1: uh, that's great helping
7: to make that happen. So.
1: Thank you so much, Michael, for writing the play and for fighting this good cause. We appreciate oh, it.
7: Thank you, thank you.
1: For more information, visit our website at nursetalksite.com or nnu.org. We'll be right back with mu- music legend Lonnie Hall Alpert. Don't go away.
5: I'm Lavar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. Every child deserves to have access to books because children who grow up with books invariably do better in life than children who do not. Because the ends, the endings of books, if it's really, really well done, that ending, that last thought should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something, and... Oh wait, hold on, I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow, busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom, I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey guys, check out my new video game. Wait, wait, Mom, what? what? <laughs>
4: What'd you say? Wait a second. What? This weekend, Unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is the sound of a
0: flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use ENERGY STAR light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Nurse, set up an IV. And you, her boyfriend, you were the driver?
5: Yes, doctor, but I didn't mean to hurt her. I only had a few drinks. I was just buzzed.
0: Just buzzed? Oh, then your girlfriend is fine. Hey, sweetie. I feel great.
5: She's really okay? What are you kidding? No. Not really.
0: Nurse, get me a suture kit.
5: Stat. Buzzed driving. Maybe we should stop acting like it's no big deal. Buzzed driving is
1: drunk driving. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best
1: medicine. We are nurses, so we cannot diagnose, prescribe, or treat. But listen to us anyway, because we like to talk. (laughs) (laughs) In my day,
8: safety was your responsibility. You either held tight or you went through the windshield. Now
0: it's time for In My Day with comedian Lynn Ruth Miller. Sit back and enjoy a walk down memory lane with a twist of spice included. And now, In My Day. In
8: 1936, when I was three years old, I had my tonsils and adenoids taken out in Dr. Steinfeld's office. I loved Dr. Steinfeld because he was the same height I was. That man was so short, the nurse had to lift him up to reach my throat, but he sure had a way with children. The doctor put a cloth soaked with ether over my face and the next thing I knew, I had the worst sore throat ever. But before the tears could start, he gave me a lemon drop. For those of you who have no clue what ether was or is. We use it these days for rocket fuel and to kill fleas. Dr. Steinfeld sent me home with my mother, and she fed me yummy chocolate ice cream and gave me lots of kisses. And I got to read all my favorite books. I felt just like a princess until the flatulence hit. I know that modern methods of removing your tonsils are very efficient and much safer than they were in Dr. Steinfeld's office, but I sometimes wonder if the precautions they take these days are worth the emotional cost to a child. You know, back then, I got to hold my mama's hand while the doctor anesthetized me, and I didn't wake up to find myself surrounded by strange smells and sounds with strangers forcing me to take medications I didn't understand. I understood chocolate ice cream. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very glad that there's been so much progress made in medicine in the last 75 years. God knows I wouldn't be alive if there hadn't been. I thank medical science for my hips, my knees, my mobile respirator, and my Botox. But I wonder if doctors today wouldn't be much more effective and a lot less intimidating if they gave their patients lemon drops and let them hold their mama's hands. I'm Lynne Ruth Miller with a lemon drop and another edition of In My Day.
1: Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today.
2: So Casey, in a few moments, we'll visit with the singer-lyricist Lanny Hall-Alpert. I'm really excited about this. I usually say that and I don't mean it, but I mean it this time. <laughs> so some may remember Lanny as the lead singer with Sergio Mendez in Brazil's 66. She recorded 12 albums in English, Spanish, and Portuguese and sang the title song for the James Bond film Never Say Never Again. In 1985, she won a Grammy Award for her Latin CD, as Faisi She continues to record with her husband, the legendary Herb Alpert.
1: Hall Alpert has written many lyrics throughout her career and has now written a powerful book called Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories. Welcome, Lanny. It's great to have you with us today, and we are fans of your music as well as your book.
6: Well, great. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. So first, I I just want to make a a say something out to our younger listeners. So I'm really excited to have you on today. And for our younger listeners out there that don't know if you have a a connection with the the music of our guest, I just want you to know that all of your Latin lounge stuff, all your Miami house music here in San Francisco, Ohm Records, all that stuff, that stuff does not exist If we hadn't had Sergio Mendez, Brazil 66. So when you're out at the club tonight, listening to your Latin house and getting your boogie on, you have Lonnie here to thank for that. And I really do enjoy your music and your legacy. So that being said, let's talk about your book, Emotional Memoirs and Short Stories. Why short stories and why emotional memoirs?
6: Well, you know, I really didn't have much of a say in it. I'm I, I just, I'm a writer, and, and I write, and I've started writing uh, short stories, actually, while I was on tour in Mexico performing uh, in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just would write short stories and put them in a drawer and just start writing again, and just uh, my drawer was filling up. And about a year and a half ago, a friend of mine was um, recovering from surgery, and she wanted to read something. And I said, "Well, here, here's a story of of my uh, my uh, experience with Epstein-Barr virus and breast implants." And and so uh, she read the story, and she wanted more. And I kept going in my drawer and mailing them to her. And and suddenly she said, you know, she was so encouraging. She she suggested that I put them all together and and do a book. And and I started looking at that possibility. And then I started writing the narrative that runs throughout the book, and that tied everything together for me. And so I felt that it was a total piece. Then,
1: you know, I, you're such a good writer. I have to say, I I was Thank really I, I like to read, and your words are very evocative and paint a lovely picture. So I heard Thank you, you on, an, on another interview, and you were talking about that when you're writing, you don't know where you're headed. You don't know the end of the story. No. So no. you're almost a witness in the story.
6: Oh, I am a witness. I am a witness. I'm a witness to the whole story. I, it isn't even the end that I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm going. Which I absolutely <laughs> no. love.
1: And so that doesn't scare you at all when you sit down to write.
6: No, like, like, for example, the, the, the second story that I wrote, which is about bad therapy.
1: Which I um, absolutely loved when I got to the end. I was like, oh, she didn't, did she? <laughs> oh, she did. <laughs> yes,
6: she did.
1: She did indeed.
6: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I started that story because I had the dream that that, that story uh, started with. Mm. And I started writing down the dream that I had. And I just kept going. That's- and I thought... Well, gee, well, I I died in this dream. So, what if I was speaking to a psycho psychologist about why did I die in this dream? What does this mean? And that's when I that's how it that's how uh, standing appointment started.
1: I absolutely love that. So, your creative spirit with writing is music the same.
6: Oh, very much the same. Very much the same. I mean, I feel. Well, for one thing, when I'm, I'm writing, I can hear music in my head mm. that is uh, kind of accompanying, like kind of a score for a film. I, I hear it in my head. And, and, and when I'm writing also, I feel the rhythm of the words. Mm. And so uh, that's very important to me. But I feel that they both come from the same source. I really fe- I, I've always been able to visualize a lyric when I'm singing it, and that's what happens to me with, with writing. I, I can actually just look at the screen of my computer and uh, see see it unfold like I'm watching a film.
1: I love that. Now, can you say a little? You learned three languages. Was no, that I hard or easy? No, I did
6: not learn them. Ah,
1: <laughs> so you learned to a...
6: phonetically sing in Portuguese oh, and in Spanish.
2: Wow! Wow! Yes. So l- let me ask you, Chicago, your hometown, is a main character in the book. What part did Chicago play in your life while you were growing up there?
6: I, I think I made Chicago my family. Mm. I-, I-, I could always count on the buildings that were across the street from our apartment building, and I I could always count on the strong trees. The strength of the- of Chicago is-, is very prevalent to me because... Um, the wind is so powerful, mm-hmm. and that those buildings and trees can stand in that wind for decade after decade is a very comforting feeling. It was a very comforting feeling for me as a, as a, a, a young girl growing up there in a, in a rather uh, unstable house.
1: So in the chaos of it all, you look to the physical environment for your strength?
6: Yeah, I did. Or, or, or just for, uh, for security to know that that's always going to be there. And I felt that very much in Chicago. I felt the... Uh, and, and Plus, Chicago is a beautiful city. I mean, yes. it's physically beautiful. The architecture there, yes. the L trains, the way the light keeps moving because the wind is blowing the clouds across the sky all the time. So everything is changing all the time. And it's, if you tune into it, and and I did, Um, it it affects your mood, it can affect you uh, in in so many different ways. So Mm -hmm. Chicago was a very main main character in my life.
2: So in your book, you peer deeply into the inner lives of women and artists investigating the fine line between creative fact and personal fiction. Can you talk about that?
5: Yeah,
6: I I just, um, I have a very vivid imagination And, uh, I just, uh, I, I, can, I can, I can hear the stories rumbling around (laughs) in my head. And the only way that I could get them out is by writing. And so, um, it's a cathartic experience for me to be able to write and, and just kind of empty my head of these images that I'm seeing or these ideas that I have. And, uh, just follow through and, and find out what the conclusion is. I, I'm also very curious. So when I started writing these stories, I, I just had to know what was going to happen.
1: I love that. I love that you didn't <laughs> know when you start, and, and you, let, you allow your intuition to lead you, which is yes. beautiful. You get out of the way and, and let it lead you. Tell me about your music. How you were singing from, obviously, an early age.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Where did that come from? Music? Yes.
6: Well, I think it was just my natural way of expressing myself. You know, when our daughter was little, when she wanted to express herself, she'd jump up and start dancing. And mm. I'd look at her and I'd think, hmm, we have a dancer on our hands, I think. Mm. When I was little, I would jump up and start singing. And mm. it was just a natural thing to do. And so uh, I I felt... Um, as I said before about writing, when I could empty myself, I, I had a place to express myself. And, and that, that expression came out of me in music. And uh, I sang all the time in my room, in, in, my, in the apartment that I grew up in. I, no one knew that I sang. I did not sing publicly for anyone so I I was it was I was a closet singer you know? and, and so, tell
1: your neighbor you sang for for your neighbor. I sang
6: for my neighbor because she had a fantastic jazz collection mm. and I would go to her house and I would listen to her records and I would babysit for her for her uh, son and and she could she heard me singing once when when she walked into her apartment early. And she, she heard me singing with the Judy Garland at Carnegie Hall album. Mm. And she always wanted me to sing The Man That Got Away from that album. So I would stand in her, her living room and put the album on and sing it for her. She's the only one that I would, uh, and my parents knew that I sang because they could hear me singing in the bedroom.
2: And so what happened next? How did you connect with Sergio in that part of your career takeoff?
6: Well, um, I was singing in my room in in, in my in our apartment, and uh, a friend of mine dropped in unexpectedly and heard me singing. And when she walked into the bedroom, she said, Who's in here with you? You know, and I said, right. Well, no, nobody. And she said, well, well, somebody was singing in here. And I said, No, it was just the record player. And she said, No, it wasn't. And then she realized it was me. Mm. And she worked at a, a nightclub um, in a... Uh, in the music district of Chicago called Old Town at the time. And uh, I would go there and hang out in that atmosphere and feel, you know, feel the energy of creativity. And uh, she kept giving me drinks one night when anybody could go up there and start singing. And she pushed me up on stage. And uh, I sang one song, and uh, a, a man that owned a nightclub, down the block, saw me, and wanted me to work for him.
1: Wow, mm-hmm. how old were you when she got you up on stage?
6: I was 18. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, he said, would you work f- for the next three weekends at my place, and I just, you know, stared at him. I, I couldn't even believe I was hearing these words. And my friend was standing with me, and she said, she'll do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good friend right there. Very good friend. That was a
6: good friend, yes. She's and a she great became friend. your manager. Leah Benjamin. She's a great <laughs> friend. And, um, and, and I worked at that nightclub for three weekends, and I was held over for two weekends. And at that time, Sergio Mendes and Brazil 65 was playing uh, in Old Town. Uh-huh. And um, he came to see me because his group was breaking up, and he wanted to try one more time to put a group together, Uh but this time he was going to use Americans, A a couple of Americans. He wanted to use, he found a bass player that was an American, and he was looking for a lead singer, and he came to see my show, and he asked me if I would like to be the lead singer for his new group that he was putting together called Brazil
1: 66. Impressive. How long before the two of you after that got married?
6: I didn't marry Sergio. Oh, it's
2: not Sergio. That's right. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. No,
6: I only married one person in my life, and that's Herb Alpert.
2: <laughs> so that that was further down the. That's a whole Much other story. Much further down I'm sure. the line. So well, that's... well the,
6: reason, the, 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 the reason I met Herb is because of Sergio. Because we reco- we we uh, auditioned for A and M Records, and Herb and his partner Jerry Moss own A and M Records, mm-hmm. and so we auditioned and we got the job. And Herb and I met.
2: That's just an incredible story. So, Lonnie, what do you want people to know most about your book and about your life?
6: Well, I I really wrote the book and I I really put the book out there just to connect, just so people could connect. And if that's what happens, then that's that's all I could actually ask for. Even in music, that's all you could really ask for, that connection.
1: Well, you've achieved that many times over.
2: Oh okay. <laughs> good. So we've been talking with Lonnie Hall-Alpert, and Lonnie, I have to say that actually next week I'm going to go see Jorge Benjur. I really hope that he sings Mashkinata, and when he does, I'll be thinking about you. I'm so, sure
8: he will. I'm sure
2: he will. <laughs> or, or everyone's going to want their money back, I'm sure. So we've been talking with Lonnie Hall-Alpert, singer-songwriter and author of emotional memoirs and short stories. For more information about Lonnie and her book, visit dot herbalpertpresents.com or nursetalksite.com and uh, it's really been a pleasure having you on. We love your book and we'd love to have you back on
1: sometime.
6: It would be my pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much.
1: Thank you so much for being creative your whole life. We've really enjoyed it.
6: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: For more information on Lanny Hall, you can go to lannyhall.herbalbertpresents.com or nursetalksite.com. We'll be right back with health trivia and email questions. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Don't go away.
5: It is with sound mind and body that I, James Fredericks Third. After fighting with all direct family members for decades, leave my entire fortune of 32 million dollars to the one friend I had in the end, the package delivery guy, Matt Songer.
4: Woohoo! Yeah! I had a feeling about this. Uh-huh. I'm rich. Oh, this cannot be happening. Actually, it's not happening. What what? And it never will. I don't get it. There aren't even people here. That's just one of those murmuring sound effects. Seriously? Listen, if you want to have money in your future, don't rely on luck. Put 10 bucks away each month. Cook once in a while instead of eating out. Okay. Pay down your high-interest credit cards. Right. Small changes today, big bucks tomorrow.
5: So, no inheritance?
4: Uh, no. Go to FeedThePig.org for more free ideas.
5: FeedThePig.org.
4: This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. And just to be clear, no inheritance, right?
5: 7,000 high school students drop out every school day. That's one every 26 seconds. So here's a 26-second message of encouragement.
1: Hi, I'm Stacy. Look, you know, I've been there. It's tough. And I just want to say, if you find yourself feeling negative, use it as motivation. Let it be like the fuel in the fire to keep you going. Because the best is yet to come. Seriously, you're capable of great things, things you probably haven't even dreamed of yet. So don't quit now. See you at graduation.
5: Do you have 26 seconds to convince a student to stay at their desk? Now you can share your message of support at BoostUp.org. We can keep students in school. Visit BoostUp.org and take the first step. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Nurse Talk,
0: where laughter is the best medicine. So, uh,
2: Casey, I had Chinese food last night, and guess what my fortune cookie said?
1: I have no idea. It
2: said my lucky number is nine and that all materials relating to health trivia are the sole responsibility (laughs) of Nurse Talk
1: LLC and not
2: affiliated with any network or stream service area in our program.
1: (laughs) That was a hell of a fortune (laughs) cookie. My God. Our health trivia question this week is, an anterior cervical fusion is A, repair of the outside of the cervix, B, a bad break in the lower leg, C, the locking together of multiple spinal vertebrae or D, a dental procedure that bridges two teeth together my goodness. If you know the answer to this question, or you're the first to look it up and email us the right answer, you may win a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks, and we may send it to you if you're really lucky. (laughs) Last week's trivia question was, what is incontinence? A, virus that has no borders, B, inverted bladder, C, leaking urine, or D, early memory loss? We did have a winner. The winner was Ginny Martin of Burlington, Vermont, listening on Progressive Voices. Tune in. And the answer is C, leaking urine. And I hope, Ginny, that that is not your problem and that's how you knew about this. So thank you for playing. Now, Shane, the moment you've all been waiting for, you and everybody else, it's email question time. Mail. I got mail. All right. You want to start? You want me to start? Go for it. All righty. Dear Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. I love that. Talk to me about shin splints. I was recently diagnosed with shin splints. Not a very pretty thing to talk about. I had always heard about shin splints and kind of laughed about it. You know how some things just sound funny. Well, it hurts like hell and it's getting in the way of my exercise regimen. The doctor told me to cut back on exercise and you use ice and make sure my shoes fit. You'll be fine, <laughs> he said. Well, what, have you been wearing somebody else's shoes while you run? How long you had to go to school to... <laughs> Make sure you learn to to use the right shoes. (laughs) It's been several weeks now, and I'm still feeling the pain. I haven't really cut back too much on the exercise because I'm afraid I'll lose my edge, but I've iced it and taken a few leave here and there. What say you? You might tell me ignoring it won't make it go away. Love your show when you talk about this. If you could indulge me and say shin splints five times really fast, Mike D., Las Vegas, Nevada, iHeartRadio. Shin splints, shin, splint, shin,
2: splint, shin splint. shin splints, shin splints, shin splints.
1: Very good, because <laughs> I could not have gotten that. Thanks. I have to say I had shin splints, God, a long time ago, back when I was exercising. It really hurts. And more exercising does not help this. So a shin splint is you're actually pulling the muscle away from the tendon. It's very painful, and it really only gets better when you rest that area and allow it to heal.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you got to take a rest from running. But what you can do is maybe back off the running. But you can do other forms of exercise. You, sure can. you can do some swimming. You can get on a bike. So that's going to help great. you. And a good thing to remember... Walking in the pool is really easy a, and g- good. a good thing to remember is don't increase your running distances by more than 10% a week. And that is time or distance. Remember, those are the same things, time or distance. Avoid running on hard surfaces. Mm -hmm. Wear shoes that fit well and are made for running long distances and stretch those
1: muscles in the lower leg and ankle. That's a big one stretching because it's something I never did or took time to do. And as we get older, our muscles also are getting a little older, ladies and gentlemen, so they prefer a nice stretch before you decide to work them out really hard.
2: All right, so our our next question is Dear nurses, Lord help me because no one ever listens to me. I love my mother very much, and I visit her often. She's pretty healthy, or so I thought. She's 78 years old and takes blood pressure medicine, but other than that, she takes no other medications except for regular doses of Tylenol. She finally told me that she takes over 10 Tylenol a day. Oh, I'm very concerned because I told her that I think it's way too much and it could harm her. She says she needs it for her arthritis, but I'm not so sure. Lately, she hasn't been feeling well. She's nauseous and weak and looks a little funny. Can you give me some insight in my thoughts about Tylenol? This is from Shelly M. in Portland, Oregon.
1: Well, I can tell you the Tylenol should come with a label that you shouldn't be taking 10 a day. You're not to exceed 3,000 milligrams of Tylenol a day. Each Tylenol is about 325 milligrams. If she's doing 10, she's over her 3,000 limit. That can have serious effects to your liver. And I find Tylenol not so great when it comes to arthritis pain. I'm somebody who prefers ibuprofen uh, or even a leave for that and of course we all know that you don't buy the aleve that's the name brand you buy naprosyn and you wouldn't buy motrin because again that's a name brand you're going to pay more if you just buy ibuprofen it's better but your mother really does need to go see the doctor because she's been taking two Tylenol for quite a long too much Tylenol for quite a long period of time the symptoms of nausea vomiting yellow eyes and skin confusion weakness death are all symptoms of a toxic uh, use of Tylenol uh, problems for the liver. So tell your mom to get into the doctor. That's pretty amazing, though. At 78, she's only on one medication besides the Tylenol, of course. Yeah, it's great, and the
2: thing to keep in mind, Tylenol works a little different than ibuprofen. Ibuprofen, you actually get an an, an inflammatory, uh, you get an anti-inflammatory response. Tylenol simply works on the pain mediators, so you're doing nothing to deal with the underlying issue as well. So, Tylenol is good for a headache, something like that, but for something that's musculoskeletal in nature, I usually go with ibuprofen nerve first.
1: And you know what's interesting, Shane, also to point out, oftentimes people go to the doctor and the doctor will say, what medications do you take? And she would just say, oh, I take my blood pressure medication. Mm-hmm. Because people think that that the ancillary stuff that you take, the vitamins, the minerals, the Tylenol, um, whatever else you're taking, isn't really medicine and the doctor doesn't need to know. And he definitely needs to know. When I do uh, something with a a resident or a patient, I have them bring down all of their pills, everything in their medicine cabinet. A, I want to see if any of it's expired. And B, I really want to see what they're taking. So often we don't tell people all the things that we're taking. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the end of another week. Uh, End of another delightful week, Shane. (laughs) And I hope moving on to better ground for all of us soon. Thanks to all of our guests. And a special thank you to the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United for their support of Nurse Talk. To learn more about today's topics, visit nursetalksite.com or nationalnursesunited.org. A great big thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, Our sound engineers, James Morey and June Miller, Taylor Lockard, Social Networking, and Progressive Voices, iTunes, KNEW 960 AM. Remember, to laugh, you got to listen, because laughter really is the best medicine. You know we love you out there, so come back next week. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.